Hello and welcome back to episode 30 of the Rogue Chat Podcast. That's right, number 30, the same kit number that Sam Hart wore in the 2018-19 season. It's been an eventful week at Ewood Park as John Dor Thomason leaves the club being replaced within the hour by John Eustace. The AFL decided to reject the appeal for Duncan Maguire and he's flown back to the uh, back to USA. Although talks are maybe going on about a pre-contract agreement, Rovers finally won in 2024 in the league with a 3-1 victory over Stoke, where John Eustace suddenly appeared on the touchline. We had another interesting week as well, with the sports meeting coming up that some people might have mentioned on social media and might have gone absolutely mad for, and a lot more. We'll get into all of that this week. It could be a real bumper episode. So we'll start by introducing the co-host. I'll start off with you, Mark. Mark, how are we doing today? Happy after the weekend's win? Oh, always happy after the weekend's win. I mean, I've almost forgotten what it feels like. I'm more concerned how you are, Dan. It's a very busy week for you this week. Are you all prepped? Is everything uh, everything ready? I promise you it won't be as bad as last week was. I can put, put it that way. Last week's made this week seem like a, a daddle. Uh, Mark, how are we doing today? Are we good? Oh, mate, what a week. I mean, it's it's been bad for us. I dread to think what it's been like for you. I mean, when, when we started these when we started these podcasts and we started making plans for each episode, it normally just took what twenty minutes, half an hour just to go through the previous week and have a little look what needs to be put down. I tell you what, today it seemed like it took me hours to sift through all the tweets, everything we've chat about the games. Just trying to get the plan together, it's been a nightmare, which just shows how much has actually happened in the last seven days. It really has. I think the best way to go through this podcast will probably be doing it chronological order with the way the week's gone, kind of take each bit into account. And we'll unfortunately start off with the Duncan Maguire debacle. Obviously, Rovers had the deadline day signing announced, the slam dunk video went on social media, everyone were buzzing, and then it comes out that the registration's done wrong now. I'm pretty sure everyone's tired of hearing about it. We won't go into it too much, but Mark, I'll come to you first. General thoughts on the news that we all expected to happen, let's be honest, after we found out the appeal hadn't, you know, the appeal was going to be made. But thoughts on the rejection by the EFM? I don't think they had any choice. I think if they'd have the information we've got, if they'd have allowed that and Duncan Maguire had come and hit the ground running and sent QPR go down, they'd have had a I mean, ironically that's QPR. But they'd have had um, an almighty case, you would imagine, for a lawsuit. So I just, you know, why would they uh, exercise any discretion for us? It's not not just about us. Why would you? I think it's just an absolute mess yet again. Yeah, it definitely is. I think the one thing I want to put out there is I almost feel like we have to apologise to Duncan Maguire as a fan yeah. base that, you know, the poor lad, 22-year-old, turned 23 whilst he were in England waiting for it to go through. I just feel sorry for him and whether this pre-contract deal happens or not, it probably changes the situation with the manager being in as well. Does he want, mm. you know, will he want Duncan McGuire? Will he not want to go and spend his money on something else if the money's there in the summer? We'll have to see. Mike, we'll finish off soon on the Maguire bit because, like you say, we've got plenty to go through. What's your take on it? Anything to add from what myself and Mark have said about it? I think it's just embarrassing that it's happened again. I mean, you don't want your club to be shown in a bad light and it just seems to be constant, you know, under the microscope and and these things happening again. I mean, third time, you know, not pressing send. And, you know, you've pressed save instead of send. I mean, it's amateurish, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely shocking that, 
you know, we're affecting people's lives here. Uh, the players, the fans, uh, the clubs. It, it's it's just amateurish, and it need. We said it needs to get sorted last year. It hasn't been. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, it really is. We'll move on and. You know, before we move on, I just want to mention the sports meeting that happened. Anyone who wants to see all the fallout from that, there is a podcast on the channel that's gone out. You can get that, whatever you're listening on now, you'll find it. Uh, Title the Majors podcast. We will cover it in the mailbag, but I just didn't want people to think we were skimming over that. Uh, and then we move on to the Thursday and the Friday, where the rumours started really circulating that John Dole Thomason were going to be leaving the club. We found that confirmed on Friday, and like we said in the intro, now we're after Eustace were announced. Now, Mike, I'll come to you first on the John Doyle departure. Just general thoughts on it? Anything to pick up? Any points to raise? I think it was coming. Um, it's a shame because it seemed like only yesterday we, we had a question whether it was like, if you could sign someone up to a lifetime contract, who would it be? And we was all over JDT. It was like, yeah, JDT, he's the man to lead us forward. I just think he'd lost his head. I think he'd decided a long time ago that this wasn't going to work for him. You know, the news that he was going to resign in the summer, uh, when he came out and said that, he'd like, okay, the writing's on the wall here. He, he obviously wasn't as dedicated to the club as we thought he would be, and I understand why, because he was. there was a lot of promises broken. I just think it, when the re, if, if you take all the results um, into account... Yes, there's a lot of positives that he's done for the club, but you take them results, you take his attitude and everything, it was probably the right time to go. Yeah, and obviously a departure that, like you say, has been coming, I think it still shocked a few people who were leaving. You could feel it with the press comments, though, couldn't you? You could feel the way you were talking to the media. It was kind of coming to an end. Mark, obviously, we spoke about John Dole Thomas and we praised him a lot, we've criticised him a lot. Just in a footballing basis, do you feel it was the right, you know, the right decision for him to go? Whether that was, I know it's put his mutual consent, but we know what football's like. But do you feel it was the right decision? Similar to Mike, I think it's a shame. I think if what we are rumours and things are to be believed, then money will be there to spend for the next few transfer windows. He's probably the man I would have wanted in that situation. However, I'm not so certain he's the right man at this moment in time. I think his heart didn't seem in it. Almost similar to Tony Mowbray when he was leaving at the end, it felt like he'd almost mentally checked out. And and the performance of the, the last game, to me, felt very much like that. It felt very flat, very uninspiring, and it did just feel like it was too easy to beat us and we were only going one way at that point. Do I think if we'd have survived, he could have been reinvigorated, hopefully, because there would have been money to spend, but yeah, I, I think the comments were just no, doing none of us any favours, were they? It had to come to a head one way or another. I think you were the right man at the wrong time as well for Rovers. I yeah. think in a yeah. situation like yeah. it was last season, I think he did a brilliant job. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it benefited anyone. And I, I said this in the reactions when he went that although I liked him a lot, I think that making those comments in the media are only going to lead you to go in one way. And I just feel... You know, we mentioned before that he was going on the defensive, trying to cover his own back, and it, it just feels, you know, right for everyone. And we will go on to discuss the Stoke game, but I wanted to mention the pre, the post-match comments from a few different players that were sent on social media. You know, Callum Britton quite clearly referenced that he'd been told to do something before that he weren't really used to. Mike, do you think this is 
maybe a sign of what people were talking about, about him losing maybe parts of the dressing room, or do you feel it's just the general talk that happens when, you know, a new manager comes in and new tactics come in? Well, I know we spoke about it a few weeks ago, didn't we, about has he lost the dressing room? Because you could, you could tell a few things, especially Travis leaving. Um, I mean, when your club captain goes and you hear rumours about other players being unhappy, you do start to think about that. But yeah, we've had, we've actually had loads of questions come in to do with this. And yeah, I do, I do think there is an element of a lot of players being quite upset with JDT. And, and so maybe mm. he has lost the dressing room. I mean, some of the notes I made about JDT, like the players seeming to be happy to get rid, I think was a, a few comments. You know, there's a lot of fallouts. You could see there's disagreements. But for me, was the expectation from JDT too much for these players? Was he expecting far too much out of EFL players that haven't played top level? You know, you look at his managerial career and it's not exactly extensive, but he's probably played with, he's probably managed with slightly better players, but he's definitely played with better players. So maybe he's just, his expectations were just far too high and that's what caused, you know, a little bit of the fallout as well. And of course, that then meant we saw the appointment of John Eustace. He comes in on the two and a half year deal after being very harshly sacked by Birmingham. Uh, Mark, I'll come to you first before I go into my thoughts. General thoughts on the appointment before we get into what it might mean for Blackburn Rovers? Yeah, remember him as a player, don't know too much about him management style. I think the Birmingham fans that, that you know you look at seem to be saying that the last few weeks were a little bit of rose-tinted glasses when he'd gone and, and Rooney came in. There's quite a few saying that generally speaking he's a good bloke, good man manager, but football's not that great. Then you, you look into it a bit more and people are suggesting he, he just plays with what he's got and that Kidderminster, he had better, not better players, but in terms of for that level and he played better football. I think parking whoever it is that came in, my concern is, you know, we've spoken an awful lot about the DNA of the football club, about the project, whatever you want to call it. We've spoken a lot about how Cup games are the classic example, how these Academy 21 players come into the first team, they know exactly what they're doing, and they slot in. I think my concern is, if this is a departure away from that, then what does that mean for the Academy? I mean, there's that documentary that I think most people have probably seen now where the Academy is looking wonderful, and we know our Academy is, but does this mean that we're going to change the way we're playing slightly? It just doesn't feel a continuation. I think we were always told that Greg Broughton would be the constant and therefore the next manager, it didn't really matter who he was, but would play a similar way. So my worry is that this does seem a little bit of a departure from that. That said, I think the one criticism that we mainly had of Yundal was at times it looked like it was 21 football we were playing. At times it didn't look like winning was actually the end goal. It was to develop players in that match situation, which is all well and good. But the big difference between 21's football, the reason you send people on loan, is to learn winning and losing. And that at times, this is the ideal way we want to play, but we need to win. And this is the end goal. And we never seem to quite grasp that. So if that's the only subtle change, then I'm all for this. And Mike, Mike mentioned departures there. Greg Broughton came up as well. And he was one I wanted to discuss, obviously. We know that Greg Broughton likes to work with foreign managers. We know that from throughout his career. Where do you feel his future lies after the Maguire debacle where he took responsibility for the O'Brien and Briley ones, whether 
it was him or not. It's another story to to discuss. But do you feel this could be the end of Greg's time here? Or do you think we're going to keep him on and build that constant thing that you know we've discussed on previous podcasts of when that manager does move on, the principles have got to be there. You know, where do you think his future lies? I hope it's with us. Uh, I wanted everything to work, um, and he was definitely one of them. Um, I do think we need that stability. I agree with everything Mark's just said. Um, I like to think that Eustace is going to come in and carry on because he, he is used to playing with youth. He brought quite a lot through through the Blues Academy as well. He, he's, he is known mm. for bringing through younger players. But like you said, it's the style of play which could change. And that's what I quite like with Greg because Greg seems to be looking at the kind of players that are now what I would call Rovers players. Um, I've, I've been quite happy with his recruitment. There's been some risks and I think we understand those risks. You know, Telelovic or Telolovic, however you want to pronounce it. I don't want it to be another wheezy bow moment. Um, but, you know, when it when it comes to the work that he's doing, he understands the constraints. He's got a plan together. And I think we've got to stick with him. Mm-hmm. If you, There's no accounting for someone not just pressing send. Now, yes, he can take responsibility and say, you know, I should have made sure he'd press send. But there's certain things in life where you just expect those those things to happen. And if anything, I would like it if he just came out and he just said, yeah, that guy's not with us anymore. Mm. You know, I can't I can't have that. Um, if he comes out, it, for him last year to come out and take full responsibility and then it to happen again, he has put himself in the firing line. But I, mm. I mean, the, the long way around it, I want him to stay. And I know that there's a lot of people are saying he should go. I personally think I would want him to stay. This is yeah. my concern with the Broughton situation of that, that where, like I say, whether it was him or not, if he's coming out and putting his neck on the line saying this won't happen again and it does happen, does that then make his position untenable just in terms of mm. he's made a promise and it's been broken, whether it's been broken on his side or not? It's. I think we'd need to understand like as, as fans that shit happens, right? Mm-hmm. It does. And this is different to last time. Last time was about yeah. form filling and things like that. Yeah. This is just someone being an idiot. Yeah, last time he took he took the blame, didn't he? And he said it was the systems that weren't good enough, but they hadn't been tested. But now he knows this wasn't the system. This was an admin error. Whoever it was, I'm sure they feel horrific, but not as bad as Duncan Maguire does. But this is an admin error of somebody. You've got to, uh, in, in every business... If he was going to do every single element, if he was scanning and uploading PDFs and he was pressing send, there'd be no need for everybody else. He can't do everything. There is an mm. element as when you go up the chain of command that you trust people to do their job. Yes, the book stops with you a little bit, but that's to make sure they're doing the right thing. And if they're not, you do something about it. For me, mm. this is an admin error. This is not about the recruitment. This is not about him identifying them late. And actually... I would argue he's done tremendously well this window up because at the last minute, if all's to be believed, while Duncan Maguire's on an aeroplane, after Greg Broughton's arranged a fee and agreed everything and fought off Sheffield Wednesday, he's then had to repeat the trick by doing it for a loan. And he's done that in enough time to get everything processed. So I think my concern is you could cut your nose off to spite your face. I do worry that Greg Broughton... Um, should be the constant and he should be the one that stops us ripping everything up and wasting a load of money with different approaches. And that's the point of having a director of football. And I think if you get rid of him because somebody else has not done their job properly, I know he should oversee it. I think it's an error. 
if I'm being honest. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts as well in the comments on the Broughton situation. I know it divides a lot of people. I think people have both sides of what we covered there, so it'd be really interesting to, to know your point. We'll move on then to Saturday. In everything that went on, we kind of forgot Rovers had a game. All the drama that were going on, Rovers <laughs> took on Stoke City at home, went 3-0 up through Tyree Stolen Brace and Sammy Smoddick's goal, and then the inevitable happened as Niall Ennis swivelled on the ball, moved like he's never moved in his Rovers career and put the ball in the bottom corner. But Rovers showed the second half side to the game. We saw John Eustace come down and kind of push the team forward. You know, he didn't want them sitting back. He wanted them pushing on. We saw debuts from the likes of Conor O'Riordan and Cal McFadson as well. Mike, you did the match reaction. We let you do it since you've been held hostage for the <laughs> most of 2024 in your lovely Mexico shirt. I actually Seems begged to, to do it, didn't I, to be You did beg yeah. to do it. Put... <laughs> I was like, please let me just do this one. I need, I need to finish on a win. <laughs> if I remember, I'm going to put the screenshot in the podcast here. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Might beg to do it. We had to let him after after the few weeks he'd had. So, Mark, I'll come to you. Firstly, we'll start off with the debutants. Connor O'Riordan came off the bench while Cam McFancy mm-hmm. started. What did you make of both of them on the on the debuts? We've been calling out for defenders built like them for a while, haven't we? I thought O'Riordan obviously didn't have that long, but he didn't look overrode. He obviously, we were we were under the cosh a little bit then. He looked, you know, obviously his stature. He looked quite comfortable on the ball. Looked quite quick over the ground. I was more impressed with the fact he's a young lad. He's never played in the championship and he steps in in a moment when you need the defenders to step up and he did. So that told me all I need to know about his character, which is all you could really go off at that point. I think Cal McFadden showed exactly what we were expecting him to be. He um, he reminded me of Kevin Moran a little bit there um, at the back. And I think he's exactly what we've been saying we needed. We've talked about people like Craig Short, Henning Berg, when they came back and the role they played. And I think that's exactly what he showed. He's not played, has he, since November. He sat at the base of that back three, managed himself through the game and managed us through it. It was interesting, some of the comments after saying that, um, was it Callum Britton that was saying, we've missed somebody and we've needed somebody to talk us through games. And and we've seen that as as fans. Yeah. But to hear, a, to hear a player saying that, you know, it's, it's an interesting one, that, because you would have hoped there were leaders out there. But, you know, our suspicions of probably been right that they've been lacking it's not just age but somebody who's willing to take control of the situation which obviously then the new gaffer did as well later on in the game he did yeah we'll go on to the new gaffer in a second mark i wanted to mention ben Criseni as well someone who came yeah. under a bit of criticism in the first reaction uh yeah. that we put out after we start what did you make of his showing at left center back maybe an unusual role for him but seemed to pick up a lot of praise on social media afterwards yeah, to be fair, the last time we lined up and he was at left wing back, I thought that's where he would play because he's got he's a big lad. We know he can play defensive midfield. I think that's might be where he started out, or he's certainly played there a lot. He's decent on the ball, but I think the criticism of him has been when he's been faced up with a defender, when he's got sort of into that last final third. So for me, his qualities are all around being quick, good in the air, and just being a, a good defender. So Playing that role suited him. I think he gave us some mobility, which we desperately needed alongside McFads in there. And he looked very comfortable. I think, to be honest, that could well be his role for us. Yeah, it definitely could. It's somewhere as well a way we can fit him and Harry Pickering, isn't it? So yeah. I wanted to also put Callum Britton and Ryan Hedges in for positivity as well. I think yeah. Hedges were brilliant on his return. I think Mike mentioned it a few weeks ago that we'd really missed him and missed his 
Got my head, I thought he did really well at wing back. I don't really like him there normally, but I thought he put a real shift in. Yeah. Uh, Callum Britton on the other side, you know, we mentioned his post match comments, but he were allowed to do a lot of what he says are his strengths, and I think we saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, gave away the penalty, but Pears did really well at serving it. <laughs> Mike, obviously, we've discussed Pears and Volstead a lot this year. How happy we to see Pears as well, you know, really make a memorable moment in the game because keepers don't really get them, do they? Unless they pull mm. out a a really good save or they pull out a penalty save, they don't really get them moments. So, how happy were you as a fellow keeper for for Ainsley? Oh, brilliant! To be honest, his return is just—I'm chuffed for him. Uh, I'm chuffed mm. for us. I'm chuffed for everyone involved. The thing is, is the term I'd use is horses for courses, and I think uh, the Stoke game was definitely a horses for courses moment. Everyone was playing to their strengths. Uh, Pears yeah. was allowed to go long as well, which we got a goal from because you do need to mix that up, don't you? I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to go into the mailbag just yet, but there's a question about having the two styles uh, of football, and you could really see that uh, against Stoke. And when it came to Pears, to be able to actually use his feet and pass it away, but also look at that second level a lot quicker than what it was, and then just hoof it, just blind get rid. I mean, the amount of times where we had a goal kick and everyone just went up, I was like, this looks weird. Like, this I, don't is, this is, yeah. picked, I don't know if you picked it up on the on the video, uh, Mark, but the cheer from the Blackburn and when Perez oh. put that first goal kick down, stepped back and so, then ran up. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So I took, I took my little one, so we sat in the Jack Walker lower. And he put the ball down and then sort of shooed everybody up the pitch. It looks weird, like, doesn't it? What's going on? And then everyone's yeah. like clapping. I thought, oh, <laughs> God. And uh, and they're doing the same for him. We were slinging corners in the box as well. It was great, was wasn't like, it? it? Yes. Was, yeah. yeah the but, thing is, is when you're on the pitch as a goalkeeper and people are pressing, you actually have a lot more time than fans think you do. And... I, I didn't play anywhere near the level of what these guys are. So it's much faster, I get that. But they're also much better goalkeepers, so they can deal with it. Uh, but sometimes it was heart-in-mouth stuff uh, before. And it seemed like even if we was, I, I think the West Brom game, we were 4-1 down and we were still playing it out from the back. Yeah. And like, geez, guys, just get rid. Like, we, this isn't working. And I absolutely loved it because it took the pressure off pairs. His handling was much better. Coming for crosses was much better. The penalty save, okay, the penalty was pretty crap, but he still had to save it. Um, just generally, he just looked bigger. He looked more confident. And McFadgen, having him in front of him, you could, like you said, chatting away, that takes more pressure off pairs. It takes more pressure. And then before you know it, everyone feels great. And, it, yeah, yeah, fantastic to see a goalkeeper have a few games that's that's doing well and I hope it continues. It, yeah, it, it certainly is. Sorry, Mark, go on. I was just going to say, it certainly wasn't a coincidence, was it, that, that they felt like the shackles were up a little bit early on. I think the yeah. players were playing, or not off instinct, not saying they're not done the work, but it did feel a little bit like that. You know, we didn't have Hedges and Britain on opposite sides. We had people doing the basics right first and it was a game that we needed that. And what I thought was interesting was obviously McFadden was there but the leadership group as we now are all very aware of were all playing they were all starting and it was a game for that it was a game for people to stand up and be counted and just do what they're good at and simplify the game I think it's not going to be like that forever and it shouldn't be like that forever there is a time and a place to play it out but I think like you say Mike when you're under pressure and you're under confident the last thing you want to do is increase the chance of or increase the pressure on yourself and that's all we're asking for. I don't want us to play long ball 
all the time. But there is a time and a place for it. There's a time and a place to say, do you know what? I'm not feeling in the best place. Let's not put myself under more pressure than mm. I need right now. And that's what it felt like for me. And I think, you know, it shouldn't be like that all the time. I don't want to go back to the big Sam days, but there is a time and a place for it. And I think the West Brom one that you highlighted there was the classic for me. It was obvious mm. it wasn't working. It was just getting worse. Same at Southampton, actually. It was just getting mm. worse. Yeah. And it was, why are we sticking to this right now? It's not working. The players on the pitch should be taking control. Now, you wonder whether they were allowed to do, whether there have been repercussions. For, you don't know all of that, but um, I was pleased with it, and I, th I thought it showed a lot of character, actually, that was positive moving forward. Yeah, not, and I think Pears has won his number one shirt back. I think he is the number one now. Yeah. But I think what we need to remember as fans is Volstead, um, he played in the same stressful environment that Pears did. And Pears has now come back into a much you know, less stressful environment, let's say, uh, by being allowed to actually get rid and things like that. So if Falstead does get his chance again, I think everyone needs to give him the opportunity to impress again because it is a different system he's going to play in. So I do, I do think that... Pairs is now the number one, but I don't want people when Volstead comes back in to be saying, oh God, you know, we've got another ropey keeper coming back in. It's a reset button for him as well. So we just need to make sure that, you know, if something does happen to Pairs and Volstead comes back in, he is obviously the person that's going to learn and come back into a new system and he may even be more relaxed. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely it. Now, two things I wanted to mention before we go on. Uh, well, three actually. The first one I wanted to mention when you mentioned about going back to the simple stuff for the third goal, it was classic. Ball up the pitch, big man nodded on, Dolan puts it in, and that takes us on to Tyrese Dolan's performance. Rich Sharp put a brilliant start on Twitter yeah. uh, after the game saying Rovers have picked up 36 points from 30 games this season. 28 of those have come in the 16 games Dolan started. I didn't realise that, but Rich put a screenshot on of uh, Dolan's games. His last one with a 40 yeah. win over Birmingham. Rovers have only won one since then. It, it clearly shows his influence on this side. Now, we've criticised Dolan at times. I think we've also praised him quite fairly. Mike, we met him at the Drona game and he said how much he wants to influence games this year, given the fact that Bradley Dack's gone, Brayton Diaz is gone, and now he sees himself as being, or should be a senior player, really, now, given the fact that he's in his third or fourth year. Mike, what did you make of that showing from Tyrese Dolan, other than the obvious two goals? Was it a real sign of what he brings to this team and what he does that maybe no one else can? He's just a pest. I think that's the what, that, that's what I called him in the review. He's just a pest, isn't he? He gets in people's faces, he goes for it. Yeah, OK, we can pick at his game and think about how we can be better, but that just shows how much we think he can you know, get to the next level. Um, I think it's brilliant to come back. I think we need to remember he's he... He left the team uh, because of injury with a lot of other players that also got injured. And then yeah. as he's come back, a lot of others have come back with injury with him. Um, I think the one thing I pointed out in the review, I think he works a lot better when he's not with Moran. Um, that could be harsh on Moran, but he just seemed to link up so much better with the likes of Hedges uh, on the right-hand side and JRC. And it just looks so much better. And yes, he's someone that just creates, he pulls people away. Okay, we do want him to simplify his game, stop the little dances and actually get rid of the ball. But we used to say that about Cristiano Ronaldo and look what he did. And I'm not saying Darwin's going to be like Cristiano Ronaldo, but 
it sometimes you do need to have that fancy stuff. But yeah, brilliant for the lads. Still want him to get that contract signed. I think he's going to be a really important player for us. I wanted to mention as well from Saturday's game, and it's something that I've been a bit vocal on before with the protests. I thought, I actually thought Rovers fans conducting themselves really well, you know, the saying they support the team, not the regime goes around a lot. And I think they did that perfectly when the team needed that back and they got it. Fans still got the point across. And I think that that was one of the things they were very happy at seeing in the game, actually, that fans can get that balance of protests and I know some people don't like protests at all you know I I have mixed feelings on them I think there's a way to do it and I think Rovers fans did it well so I didn't want to just pass the podcast by without without bringing them protests up but uh, we'll move on to looking ahead to this week coming up two big games coming up I'd say especially with the new manager we'll start off with Tuesday night Birmingham away Tony Mowbray in charge of Birmingham John Eustace in charge of Rovers Go on, Mike, since it's one of your local games, since it's a game you you like getting one over them, how are you feeling ahead of, you know, Eustace's officially first game in the dugout, even though he decided to take things into his own hands in the second half of that start one? Well, so the first thing is, I'm good, I can't go. I'm on an FA training course for goalkeepers, so I'm absolutely devastated that I'm going to miss the game uh, because I'm feeling good about it now. I think seeing John Eustace come in, seeing the players, how they played against Stoke, knowing that Blues aren't exactly playing the best. I think it's... I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to jinx it, but I feel more confident now than if JDT was still in, in charge, just just because of the situation. Um, yeah, I'm desperate for this one. Please, Rovers, just batter them, please. Mark, do you think this is... Uh, not Mark, sorry. Mark, do you think this is the perfect game for Eustace to come in? So I, I don't want to say exactly perfect, but do you feel it's a good place for him to start, especially with what we're going to go on to with Saturday's game. It's an incredibly tough place to start, I would say. I think you look back to the game at Ewood Park and the scoreline didn't reflect the game, did it? They absolutely battered us for the majority of that game. I think I'm going to include Saturday, to be honest, because I think the change of manager probably gives us a bit of that boost. And it's quite a good time to start because these are key games. So... Yeah, it could go horribly wrong, but actually, we had to get something out of these games. And, you know, we've rolled the dice, we've done that. Yeah, he knows the surroundings, doesn't he? He knows the players are going to be desperate to impress. We probably know what we'll get from Tony Mowbray's team. There'll be lots. I think they've had 60 shots in the last three games, somebody said, and not scored very many. We know that comes with Mowbray teams. We know that they'll be on, you know, they'll want to play possession football. I think it's set up for us on the counter-attack, though. I do. I do. I don't want to jinx it like Mike said, but I think I'm going to jinx it. I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win on the counter. The pressure's um, on them, isn't it? Yeah. I think this is a game that really suits us. If we come away from Birmingham with a draw, good result. If we come away, as long as we don't get absolutely tonks, then it's a decent result. And then it sets you up nicely to go into Saturday, which hopefully um, we will put a better showing than we have done previously in Derby games. Yeah, we'll go on to Saturday. Rovers made the trip to Preston North End two weeks ago. I think fans were dreading this game. Ticket sales weren't going well. I'm expecting if we get a good result tomorrow for tickets to go quite well in the next in the next few days. I think fans will really get behind John Eustace. I remember going there under Paul Lambert in his first game and yeah. having a really good day out. That was that was a good day when Rod put that penalty away. Uh, 
Mark, how are we feeling ahead of Saturday? Obviously, Preston doing quite well. They had that mid-season bit where Ryan Law came under a lot of pressure, made a few comments that really upset the fans as well. How are you feeling ahead of Preston? Because like you say, local derbies haven't been the obvious thing over the past seven or eight years, really. No, I suppose the funny one with Preston, it doesn't... It's not the biggest of derbies, is it? I think you have good followings no. just because it's local. But it does tend to completely throw a form out of the window for both teams, which is an old saying, but you can't really predict them. There always tends to be goals. Watch it be nil-nil now. I'd probably take it, actually. But there does, te- there does tend to be goals. It tends to be that the away team wins as well, um, in quite convincing fashion. So I'll just jinx us again. But, yeah, Preston. I thought Ryan Law was on his way out at one stage. I don't think Preston fans are still particularly sold on him. But they're getting some good results at the same time. So, two points off the playoffs as well. Yeah, I think it's two tough games for us, this. It's it's a good place to start, but it's two tough games. But there's no lack of motivation for the players there. Is there? They can't say that, they're, um, that they've nothing to play for at this moment in time. So, I'm hoping... Sorry, when you've, when you've got this amount of players coming back from injury, do you think that makes... So, we've got a new manager, players coming yeah. back from injury, they're just finding their yeah. legs. Do you think that makes a huge difference for these two games? It does, but my concern is how much they've already played. So, how much? How long did McFadden play? How long did Hedges play? How long's Dolan played recently? Are they going to be up to playing three games in a week? It's Callum Britton, is JRC. That's my worry, I think, because you can't prioritise one over the other. They put a big mm. effort in on Saturday as well. And there's a lot of mental... I know people say, oh, it's the job, it's football, but there's a lot of mental stress going on last week. And there'll be a lot of players that on Saturday night were absolutely exhausted for one reason or another. So I'm not saying they won't be back up for it, but this is how injuries happen, isn't it? Particularly going into Saturday. I just think it'd be interesting how he manages the squad this week. Yeah, this is a point I was going to make that we go to Birmingham where he wants to make that impression in his first game, but he will have focus on Saturday. I think the players will want to avenge that defeat and he would as well uh, on that Friday night. I think that was a defeat that Rovers, I thought, played really well in as well and just didn't get the result. They'll want to get their own back on it. So it'll be interesting to see how this week goes. A good week covered, well, a mixed week covered there in 35 minutes. Mark, I think it's time for the mailbag. Should we do it? Yeah, let's get into the mailbag. So, first off, thanks everyone for the all the questions. Obviously, like we've been talking about, a hell of a lot has gone on this week, so a hell of a lot of questions have come in. So I do get that. I think the one thing that we need to discuss to start with Dan is the uh, the supporters meeting so we've had quite a few questions about this supporters meeting now obviously we'll point them to the video but first off what what was your reaction when that comes through confusion I think was the main one I felt that it didn't feel right having the players there I'll be truly honest I don't think I don't think any of the players need me to come in and tell them to be shit. They knew that. They admitted themselves that they haven't been good enough. Uh, I felt it was, and I said this in the video, and I don't mean disrespect to anyone, but I felt it was a 
a way to try and soften the fans that were there. I think it was like, oh, look, we'll put these plays in front of you. They'll tell you how hard it is. But the plays didn't. The plays were very open and that calmed it a lot. It just felt like it, it was a please don't be us. It doesn't help when I think they needed to know the, the wider situation, which they did get told. So, yeah, it was confusion more than anything. It was why, really? Why do we need to sit there? Uh, and discuss the current form, we all know it's not good enough. I think the thing is, is a lot of fans, they had a proper little moan about why certain people were invited and why have they done this. But on one side of the coin, you're saying, I want the club to get us involved, I want them to listen and stuff. And then you do this and then they're all like, well, why Why is this happening? And it's like you just can't please everyone. For me, when, when obviously I found out that this meeting was happening, I'm like, do you know what? Whatever the reason, they're trying to get fans involved. And if it's them explaining a bullshit reason, you know, we're not dumb. We can see through it. You yeah, know? I think it's... Yeah, carry on. Sorry, I think as well as people mention why it went an open invite. Open invite doesn't work. And I'm not just saying that because I've invited anyone who went to them support the consultation meetings. I remember a fight kicking off because someone weren't going to MK Dons three days later and someone else was, so they were a bigger fan. I remember that clear as day when that fight kicked off it doesn't work what it has to be and if people might like me saying this they won't it's got to be fans that go in with a level head that's the first thing if you go into the 100%. club and i tried explaining this to people when i asked a question about greg broughton's future i basically if anyone's not seen the video i basically said he's come out and took the blame the point i made before he's come out and took the blame in front of the fans do you understand why the fans want Broughton to go or why section the fans want them to go and the question weren't really answered and I tried explaining in the video that me sitting there for 20 minutes going, yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? It's not going to get anywhere. Ultimately, the club hold the power in these meetings, whether people like it or not, unless they're in a, unless they're in like a, you know, when the EFL stated that they have to have their meetings they had before, the club could just say, right, end the meeting. And that's ultimately where we're at, that you, these have got to be done with a level head. And I think the people that were there, did a brilliant job you know I praise Josh Boswell quite a lot who I know I've had varying disagreements with him on Twitter over certain stuff but I thought he really conducted himself well and it set a good precedent for the meeting that's why they can't do open discussions because and don't get me wrong I'm sure there's fans out there that will have had different opinions from the people who were there but you can't have every fan in a room it's just not logical we're a big enough club to have enough fans where the opinion varies a lot it was just one of them things where it were called very late on and the people that are in fan groups as such are invited down. So, yeah, as much as I'm sure they want to have everyone's opinions with the situation it ran, and it turns out that the manager was set to go, you know, we didn't know that at the time, it just made sense to just have a few there, and a few that have worked with the club before as well. Let's be honest, we've done the fans take over there, solved the trust, uh, solved BRFCS. Yeah, I mean... I think I think you did a great job. I thought the video was really good. Um, I think everyone that went there uh, when I started seeing the tweets coming out because someone had leaked that video, which I thought was pretty irresponsible but, and shocking, to be honest. Because I think I think that wound a lot of people up. And yeah, it did. No it made it look wrong. It. it made it yeah. look wrong as well. And this was the point I made in the video that, and you know, we were going to go. Out, we all agreed at meeting. We were going to go out and put something out saying we'd been because we didn't want it to then come out and people be like. You're trying to hide it, which it did look like in the end. With that CCTV, it looked like, oh, look at these having a secret mm. uh, a secret meeting. But no, that right. Whoever leaked it, I'm sure it'll be getting 
some form of yeah. something against them. I don't know what, but it I mean, just ultimately social on, on everyone there. And social media just f- f- throws oh, fuel on the fire over everything. Yeah. And people need to grow up a little bit. You know, we're in a bad situation. We know how bad it can get. You know, me and Mark have spoken about the Steve Keen days. That's when I, to be honest, that's when I was really going to a lot of games and it was pretty awful. And, you know, um, is it Glenn, Glenn uh, Mullen? He did the yeah. um, uh, blog and I read his and some of the stuff that he went through during that era. And they don't want that again, you know. Um, you know, so it's it's just one of those things where it shouldn't have come out, but the fact that it did, and I thought your video, like I said, your video was great. Yeah. So it's 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 good. But we'll, we'll move on from that because that took up quite a lot of your time, and I think it was quite a stressful period. Um, just a bit, so, Yeah. So, Mark... I've got two questions. They're basically the same question, but I want to mention both guys, really. So Gareth Hudson asks, we saw a lot of pragmatic football that the championship required in the the Stoke game. The question is, how far the combination of the two styles can take us with these players and little money to invest? Now, we had a similar question from Mm -hmm. Sean Wilson, who sent quite a nice email, actually. He's only just sent it, but I wanted to mention it. He said, is it possible that Rovers could combine what they've learned from JDT and add to the more championship-savvy football that Eustace will instil to create a super team, achieving more success than either of them could have individually at Rovers this season? The effect of this is us going on a mad run and storming into the playoffs in (laughs) sensational style. Or am I talking utter bollocks? Uh, but he did say, keep up the brilliant work and really appreciate all you do. So thanks for that, Sean. So I think what we're trying to say is, and I know you tweeted something out, I know we've spoken about it as well, about we don't want to lose the identity of what we've created. So the question is, can we use both ways of playing? I don't see why not. I think for me, to put it simplistically, and it's far more complicated than this, but... JDT's attacking elements, I think, predominantly would be what you would want to keep. The movement, the difficulty it then gives opposition of where you're going to pop up, where you're going to be attacking from. I think at its best, and I don't mean necessarily recently, at its best was what you want to keep. I think what you wouldn't want to keep is the predictability of our poor defending and how easy we were to play against. So... He, the easiest thing that John Eustace has to come and do is put in some basics of the defending. I actually think it'll be really interesting this season and then next season. So I, I, I'm almost likening it to Roy Hodgson going in at Palace. So Roy Hodgson went in at Palace, a similar stage last season, when Palace had a really young attacking team, but were so naive defensively, they were causing themselves absolute horror shows. And he's gone in, not, and it's probably even worse for Eustace because we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. He's not got time on the training ground to fix everything and to instill his mm. full style of play. So the obvious thing you do is go, right, where's the weakness? Let's stop that. Let's, and, and Sam Aldas talks about this when he did on been on Monday Night Football, talks about his blueprint for staying up. You need to go and tighten up that defence, make us better at both boxes for set pieces. So I think that's what Eustace will, will do. And I think we saw that at weekend. And he'd only had a small input. I actually think, then think going into next season, it will be interesting what route he goes down. And I think that's when we'll see what John Eustace wants Blackburn Rovers to play like. I think what you'll find almost by 
maybe not even design in some ways because he's not got the time on the training ground. What you'll find till the end of the season is they'll be more off the cuff and the way they used to play in going forward, but there'll be those basics of, of the, the defending style, whether that's formation, whether that's personnel. And what you should see is us better defensively and better in both boxes, you would hope. And we've got a set-piece coach, finally. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I agree with everything you've said there. I think, I mean, I know I used the term horses for courses earlier, but it, uh, football's like that. You can't just play the same brand of football. Um, so to go to the NFL, because obviously, you know, I, I follow the NFL, you had uh, a coach called Vince Lombardi and a coach called Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick would scheme and change things every single game. So you never knew, really knew what was going to happen. And he would make sure that everything was adjusted for the team he was playing. Whereas Vince Lombardi, he'd just do the same thing over and over, but do it well enough where you couldn't stop it. Now, I've always remembered that. And I think I prefer the Bill Belichick way, where actually you scheme based on what you're playing and I think that with the players that we've got now and that John Eustace passion, I actually do think we're going to start seeing us playing different ways depending on who we're playing. And we might have to grind out results like we did against Stoke. And we grinded out a results and got something, but it wasn't the prettiest. You know, it wasn't all about possession and stats. It was about getting the results. I think John yeah. Eustace is going to be like that because we have some really good football players that have learned quite a lot over the last couple of years. And like you said, mm -hmm. the, the academy and all that are being brought up that way. And then when they come in, they're going to play. And the way you put it was beautiful about playing men's football and learning to win. I think that's what Eustace is going to bring in. And I can really yeah. see us changing each week. Now, these games are coming thick and fast now. So when he's going to put it in, no idea. Um, I think... I think the Blues game, we're probably going to play the same as what we did against Stoke and maybe against Preston, but then going into the week after, I can see us then starting to change it a little bit. But I, I think he's going to change himself tactically. Dan, have you got anything to add on that from what you've seen? No, I think we're just going to see a way of getting through to the summer here. I think once we get the summer in, I think Rovers, I mean, it's like John uh, used to said in his in his press conference today that were well, today at the time of recording that it's about getting points on the board and it is. And then when Rovers are in a position, I think we'll see then the case of, right, I want to put my stamp on it. I want to put my stamp on getting the right players, working out what I actually need in the summer, because I think we forget that a football club probably starts planning that now, would you say? Going into mm -hmm. March, they plan what the yeah, summer if keep, is. If, definitely if we're keeping Greg, yeah. Yeah, so I think... It's going to be at a stage now where get this club into a position where we're maybe not mathematically safe, but something they'd have to go mega wrong to go down. And then it'd be, you know, let's look at the summer. Let's kind of start building that squad. I think we'll see Buckley get a lot of game time because I think he'll work in a, in a John Eustace side. I think we'll see. I think you'll start to see what's going to happen in the summer with, you know, Sam Gallagher, obviously, contract situation. I think we'll start seeing that change. I just think now it's all about getting this club out of any sort of relegation battle. So I'm expecting basics for quite a few weeks, especially given the fact that he's not much time on the training ground uh, between these games. Do you think there's anyone um, from the reserves that could start to see a bit more game time under him? It's got to be Gilson, I think, if it's anyone. I think that, I think, yeah. I think he's the only one that... I look at, I think he's at, Gilson's at that stage as well, where he's at the perfect form. 
for a new manager coming in. I think he's kind of got that perfect spot at the moment. I'd love to see him come in as well. I'd love to see him uh, get his go. Other than that, I don't think so, because I think right back you've got your Callum Britton in, and we spoke about Duru, who was so liked under Thomason, but is he getting ahead of Britain or JRC or anyone that comes in at right back now? Probably not. So, yeah, Gilson for me. Maybe when we, if we're safe with five to go, we might see a few in, but we'll have to see. Uh, so the next question from California Rover uh, follows quite a lot and comments quite a lot. So keep that up. She said, "Who appointed Eustace and what happened to Greg?" So, Mark, um, do you have any answers for us? Because I sure don't. <laughs> well, I think that's. I think that was one of the questions that was asked of Elliot Jackson today to ask, wasn't it? Because I think the pe reason people are asking that is it feels very off piste for the project, shall we say? That's so, why I think Wagert. Yeah, That's I, why think I, think it, in that. I think it feels very in line with what we've seen from Steve Waggett more than Greg Broughton, but we don't know. We're not there. I think it's a question that. If it is Steve Waggett, though, my big question that it raises is if you're Greg Broughton and now these are all based on rumours and hearsay, but if you're Greg Broughton and you wanted Duncan Maguire to come into the building and you've been told by whoever that you want to not purchase him and you want to change the fee or they can't pay a fee, whatever, and then if you're Greg Broughton, your director of football, I would have thought your job is to appoint the manager or to have a very big say in it. If you haven't, and what role does he have left at the club? That I, if I was him, that's what I'd be asking. But well, I think I, you not. look at sorry to jump in. You look at John Dahl when he was appointed. Yeah, Greg brought. He mentioned Greg Broughton had been involved with that, and Greg had only just come into the club. Yeah. Whenever Rovers sign a player, whenever Rovers do anything, Greg Broughton comments. There's no comment on the Eustace appointment, which mm -hmm. I think is very telling. I think the LinkedIn post from him on both of them. The John yeah. Doe one going out and the Eustace coming in looked very pro JDT, like it's kind of on JDT's side a bit, whereas the Eustace one were a bit, a bit less. I just feel I've no issue with him doing it. Actually, in this situation with Waggett doing it, I think we needed that appointment quick, and I think we needed that right appointment as well. And I think I'm actually surprised we appointed John Eustace. I'll be honest, I'm expecting some of the bad names to start flying around like we see every time a managerial situation comes up. When I saw Robbie Fowler come up, I knew it were only a oh. <laughs> I were ready to give up with this football club, I'll be honest. If it had happened in... Sorry, Matt. If it had happened in the summer, and let's just say John Eustace didn't find a club, I mean, it looked like he was heading for Huddersfield. Do either of you think it would have been a different appointment? It last... Mm. Or oh, this summer, sorry. Yes, I yeah. think we'd have gone down the foreign approach again. I think we was in this situation where Rovers needed a manager that one could come in. I think we needed a manager that knew this division. I think that was something we said about John Darwin last year, especially that he found it hard, didn't he? He found it hard playing Tuesday, Saturday a lot. I think that really affected John Darl, especially given we had the World Cup breaking last season, so we had a lot more Tuesday night games. I think that was one of John Dahl's biggest issues last year when we kept going win-loss, win-loss, that we'd burn out midweek. So, yeah, I I don't know if we'd have gone completely different in terms of the profile of manager. I don't think it'd have been John Eustace. I think he'd have had either another job, because they normally come free in the summer, don't we? Uh, don't they, sorry? 
I think it'd have been mentioned, but I don't think we'd have. But anyway, I think we'd have gone down the foreign route again. Uh, I don't know who, because I didn't know John Dal Thomason before he came here, but yeah, that's what I expect. I think right. I think a lot of it came down to with with Greg is he's had a busy window trying to actually bring players in. Did he have enough time to go and find himself a manager as well? Because it did seem like it was starting to happen uh, quite quick. It's like it was the snowball effect across January. It was just getting worse and worse. And you're thinking, okay, someone's obviously taking it out of Greg's hands here uh, and just getting it done because he was dealing with the player salad. That's the only thing I can think of. I do think it's weird we haven't really heard from Greg. But yeah. the JDT thing, I mean... With the longest appointments I think he's had as a manager, he wasn't experienced. I think his average now is just over a year per club, and that says everything. And I think the club just were desperate to bring in someone experienced that was willing to work with what they had, and Eustace was perfect for that. And I just don't think Greg was really ready to appoint someone else. And he might be a bit bent out of shape. If, Greg, if JDT was his appointment and he's gone, does that look bad on Greg? You know, the fact that they've sat to manager that he brought in, just given an option of what it could be, uh, I do find it weird that Greg's not there. So to answer the question, what's happened to Greg? No one knows. If anyone knows where he is, let us know. Hashtag, uh, where's Greg? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, I, I ain't got a clue where the kid is. Um, so one, uh, in fact, uh, uh, one here, Dan. Don Pruggy's asked, and, and we'll make this the last question because this mailbag has been quite quick. Uh, uh, sorry, quite big. He said, could we not turn the Riverside into a community stand or the top tier of the Blackburn end, fill it with local sports teams, schools, Ewood Express, etc., with cheap food and drinks maybe? It might attract more to the ground. Now, when I was younger, I actually remember the top tier, when the top tier of Blackburn end was created, it was the family area and they used to give a lot of tickets away to yeah. schools and they did fill it up. Yeah. That's when we was filling the rest of the ground and bringing money in elsewhere. So, Dan, do you do you think this is something we could do now? I mean, the ticket prices have just come out with the next the uh, the last five games. That seems to have been quite well received. Do you think this as well would put us over the edge? I don't know. I think the attendances at Rovers is such a big topic to cover, and it's something that I don't mm. think we'll ever get to the bottom of. I'll be truly honest. I'm sure the fans forum have spoke. A million times about it. We, I know I've mentioned it in a few, a few chats. We were. I think, I don't think opening a new part of the ground would work, given the fact that we'd probably be dragging people out other parts, and it already looks empty as it is. Uh, for me, I think it's more about improving other aspects of the day. Price definitely needs to improve, but I, I've said about match day experience before. You've got to make it where people want to come down early, and I think that would add to it that yeah. you make it less of a job, but. Again, I could go on for another podcast about how you improve Ewood, and it probably still won't work. So, no, I think I like the idea of having them in the bottom bottom left of the Jack Walker as you face the pitch. I think it looks better on the cameras as well, which the club have got that in mind. I just don't think moving it to the Riverside, you'll be moving a lot of people out the seats as well that have been there for however long, and unless they wanted to stay there. I just think... For me, it's all right as it is in terms of the kids. I think that's one thing Rovers actually do well is getting the, the young fans in that bottom bit as much as I can criticise them for other things. Mark, anything from the forum? Anything ever get mentioned to do with this kind of thing? All the time. 
And if anybody's got any suggestions, throw them our way. I think what we obviously have our opinion as individuals and then generally it's very similar as a group. I would imagine it's not dramatically dissimilar to what everyone else has said. Dan's right. I think there's an element of it looks good on the camera to have them there. But the main driver that they moved them down, obviously we had the room in the ground, but moving them down from the upper tier, because I was the same as you, Mike, that's where I used to sit, was because then I they can so. engage. They can engage with the mascot. They can watch the players warming up. They're near to the atmosphere of the Blackburn and all these kind of things. I think the problem with the Riverside is that the facilities are not good enough. So actually you're taking children as well to a ground and it's not a, if it's people's first experience, it's not the best experience. And I have said before, and this is my personal opinion, not the opinion, opinion of the forum. I think that Rovers miss a trick in the, in the Riverside. I think it's not the biggest of stands, but if you look at the, when they come out and there's, um, a list of the dearest, cheapest ticket, if that makes sense. Rovers are really high up. I think that's the stand you use for that. I think you lower the price in there. And if actually, it, it I, I'm sitting the Blackburn end because I want the atmosphere. I'm not going to move into the Riverside, even if it's 100 quid cheaper. If people are in the Jack Walker stand, forget the uh, family enclosure now. They're predominantly in there because they want that, that different view or that different feel of the ground. So I think you'd lose very few fans. You might get the fans who sit nearest to the Darwin end in the Jack Walker lower move across to the same mm -hmm. position but the Riverside. But I think they're missing a trick there. I think you make that, because the facilities are not as good, you've got a restricted view in a lot of the seats. Actually, make that 100 quid cheaper for a season ticket. Make it £15 instead of 25 for a game. And actually, it gives you a, short, a small window into seeing, do you know what, is Price a massive driver? Because if it is, if it is on a Saturday, actually, that that's filling up with 3,000 and we've got the same attendance that you'd expect, then we know what's going on. People are just moving, but they're getting the cheapest ticket they would, but they come anyway. I actually think what you find is that those people who are going, 400 quid's a lot for a season ticket, which everybody is, but then they're going, do you know what? Actually, it's now 250 quid if I sit in here. It's not where I choose to sit, but it means I can go. And it, oh, it's 15 quid to go to there. It's a tenner. I, I think they're missing a trick. And if they find that that fills up and it's extra people coming, then that's a, a way of us saying, well, do you know what? Can we make the rest of the ground cheaper? The big debate we've always got when we go on about uh, ticket prices, and, and Dan, you're right, this could be a, a pod in itself, is the club have a certain target to hit but money. And we obviously, FFP-wise, we need to bring money in. We massively need to bring money in and we can only spend a percentage of what we bring in and the money we lose and things. If the club put the tickets down by, like when John Williams did it and he went nuclear and it was 200 quid and only a thousand more people turned up, then the club are going to lose a lot of money that they backed that they were planning on for spending on players or whatever it is. So it's a big risk. We've talked about um things before where it's 400 pounds and then if we get 10,000 it's 350 and if you get 15,000 it's but then well when do you buy do you wait until it gets cheaper yeah. it, it's an absolute minefield the one thing, one field. The one oh, thing sorry, you, the, yeah carry on just, Mark, sorry. just to finish off the one thing i would say is that i think steve waggett gets a lot of criticism uh, and i'm not going to go into that i think his role i think and i'm getting now i feel he thinks his role is a ceo is to reduce what the club are expenditure which is we know is far too much and increase the income 
that is probably that is definitely a part of his role. I think he sees that as probably the majority of his role. For me, I judge him on what the attendances are like at Ewood. Now, they've gone up steadily, but he did come in at a time when Owen Coyle was manager previously. So, <laughs> you know, he wasn't going up and we were in League One. But they have gone up. And also, the money that we've taken in is going up and up and up each year. So, from that side of it, he's doing his job. But I personally, I mean, the fan, I think the players spoke about it to you, Dan. But it's not it's not rocket science. The Watford game was so much better in those 17,500. Now, the club in the forum minutes said that they lost money on that game. Now, what they were saying was that they had a projected figure for that game based on previous history and things like that. And they predicted that they would take more money in. And I know they did it at one point last season. Might have been Sheffield United. And, and they took less money than a Coventry game when there was 4,000 less. My argument would be... There's 12,500 there or whatever again at, you know, Rovers fans at weekend. I, I just think it's very short-sighted for us not to want more bums on seats because those kids are not coming in then and how often, how long before it starts to tail off and you get less and less. Get people through the door, increase the atmosphere. It makes more people want to come and for me it's a snowball effect. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the one who's on the, uh, pulling the purse strings, I think. Dan? I, I think as well with it that it's exactly that. I think the reason we're losing money on that situation, though, is we don't make the most of the other stuff. We don't make the most of the food offerings. We don't make the most of marketing. So I think we're really poor putting marketing stuff out. And I think with certain stuff, we, you know, we're poor at pushing people. I think you've got to get money out of fans. I completely agree with that with what you're saying, Mark. But you've got to do it in a clever way. You've got to do it in a way that they want to spend the money. I'm happy, and I won't lie, I'm happy going to Ewood going in the ground at five to three, leaving the ground at five yeah. and going home. I don't want to stay in the blue yeah. bar because I think it's shit. I don't really <laughs> want to stay around the ground because there's not much to do. You know, yeah. I know they have that, is it Pitmaster, the thing, how long can you stay and have a brisket sub for? You can't really. You want to go home and you just, you'd rather go to the Fox and Hounds, you'd rather go to the Brown Cow or whatever pub around. People want to do it. And until we maximise that, that's how you get the most out of fans. You think if you have 5,000 more fans, but you can't shift any more food because your systems are too slow or you don't, they don't have any stock half of the time. I went to that Watford game and not the Watford game, there were another game where the attendants were higher on another game for some reason and they didn't have any food in. And it's like, well, yeah. you've just lost mine there and I were in 20 minutes early, they had no pies. And a lot of people come in less than 20 minutes. A lot of people go at half time. You've got to maximise the food and you've got to maximise all the other income streams, not just scanning your ticket through. And that's ultimately where the club will, will struggle if they can't maximise them extra fans coming. What's, I think, it's almost what's the point of having them if you're going to go cheaper. I think this, us three, uh, you know, we, we show different aspects of a game. Like, Dan, you live so close and obviously, Mark, you live quite close and I live quite far away. Now, a club like Rovers, they are based around very local fans. I mean, I would love to know the percentage of fans that live within a very short distance. Not necessarily walking distance, but a short distance that they're not bothered about the food. They're not bothered about the club shop. You know, they want to come watch the game and go. Some of them might be driving and not even drinking. You know, it's we live in a time where you can't necessarily go and just, you know, throw 40, 50 quid on a load of drinks and pie. Me, 
obviously I've travelled, I might go. And when I came to the last game, there was no food there and I was getting pretty agitated because I liked my food and um, I couldn't get anything. And I was quite agitated. But then I thought to myself, well, hang on, how many people here are actually bothered about that side of things? So I think it's really difficult. And then go, going back to the attendant, the ticket prices, it's not just a case of, oh, well, if you have the ticket price, you'll get twice as many people. It doesn't really work like that because then it costs you even more to put the event on with stewards uh, or the safety police and all of that. So actually, if you, say, had 10,000 people, you halved it, you're not going to get 20,000. You would actually need probably about 25,000 to actually make that worthwhile. And and I understand what well, I said when, when we tweeted out about the podcast a few days ago, we try and give a balanced opinion on the football and the business. And when you put your business head on, it's extremely difficult to run a club nowadays, especially a club like Blackburn, where we're yeah. in an area where you're not grabbing loads of surrounding areas as well because they've got their own football teams. It's really difficult. Yeah. And I, I think you're right there, Mike, as well, about the, the food being difficult. I think it's extremely expensive, Rovers food. But they've outsourced it to Sodexo because that was a headache that was costing them. That was a headache that was costing them money when if they didn't sell all the beer, they didn't sell all the pies, that, that was it was causing them a headache because they couldn't predict how many they needed. So it, it and I think it's a myth that people think you get ten thousand more people in order you make it back on pies and things. They don't uh, no. the figures just don't stack up. No. No yeah. and and it was great, mailbag guys. Keep adding the questions in. I'm making a note. If, if we haven't asked, uh, asked the questions that you've put in, they are all being logged. I am going to get to them, but keep coming them in. But that's the mailbag. Perfect, Mike. People will be delighted as well that the tune came on uh, before we've had a few comments about that. Uh, let's get into the quiz. I'll be hosting this week. It's just going to be a straightforward back and forth one. Mike gives one answer, Mike gives one. With JDT's time up at the club, I've pulled together all the numbers from his time and I want you to name the top 20 players for goal contributions during his time. So that's goals and assists. Okay. I'll give you a clue. The bottom one is five. So all they have to have is being involved in five goals uh, for them to make this list. Go on. Who's going to go first? Who wants to take the lead? Well, I'll do the easy one of Sam Smoddix. Sammy Smodix, 35 goal involvements, 28 goals, 7 assists. Uh, ben Brereton Diaz. Second in the list, 20 goal involvements, 16 goals, 4 assists. This is all comps, by the way. Dolan. Dolan, joint third, 17, 8 goals, 9 assists during his time under John Dahl. Joe Rankin Costello. Yep, he sits there on 10, 5 goals, 5 assists. Sam Gallagher. Again, joint third with Terry Stolen. He's got 11 goals, though, and 6 assists during John Dahl's time here. So you've got the top four. Bradley Dack. Bradley Dack again, another one with 10, 7 goals there and 3 assists. So we're, uh, we're doing all right so far. Oh... Adam Wharton. Adam Wharton, nine goal involvements, four goals and five assists. Ryan Hedges. Ryan Hedges, in fact, I was shocked by this. He's joint fifth with 12 involvements, wow. five uh, goals and yeah. seven assists. 
I'm not shocked. He's my boy. Really like him. Um, boo, do do So we've had we've had eight so far, haven't we? Uh, five, six, seven, eight. Yes. Um, there's going to be some obscure names like Tyler Morton, um, Sigurdsson. Is he going to be on the list? Sigurdsson, yeah. yeah. Seven goals, three assists. Callum Britton. Callum Britton, yep. Yeah. Six goal involvements. One, only one goal. That one at Millwall. Five assists, yeah. though. And what a celebration from the lad! What a celebration! You're missing um, just one. You're missing just one in double figures now. Oh, and the rest have six or five. So one double figures, and then a few sixes, and uh, you'd need all the fives as well. I'm having a mind bite from last season. Feels like this this last week's been a full season. Andy Moran's had a few, hasn't he? Um, but is he? Younger Andy Mar- Andy Moran. He's your final double figures. He has three goals, nine yeah. assists, twelve in total. I didn't know he had Impressive. three goals. Yeah, cup, and then Stoke away. Two in cup, and then one at Stoke. Ah, I think. cup cup counts, does it? Yeah, I said all comps. I'm going to go Jake Garrett. Jake Garrett, six, four oh, goals, two assists. So you've got the top. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You've got the top 11. And then, the, like I said, the rest have either six goal involvements or five. Um, I'd say he takes set pieces, but we're crap at set pieces. <laughs> Doesn't help. <laughs> no. Normally you'd think, well, who takes corners and free kicks? Mm, I I'll think there's only Moran, who's, only Moran who's had an assist off a corner at, uh, at Stoke and that, right? Yeah. Travis? Travis, two goals, yeah. four assists. John Buckley. John Buckley, three apiece, three goals, three assists, six in total. So you need one more with six involvements and then five more with five. Pickering? Hmm. Pickering, two goals, three assists during his time under John Dahl. So one six. Got Harry Leonard. Harry Leonard, you six, four goals, two assists. So you just need four players that have had five goal involvement. Uh, I'll give you a clue. Two of them have just scored five goals and no assists. The other two have scored one goal and set four up. Um, Tyler Morton, I'm just going to throw it out there. No, that's your life gone. He only had four assists during his time at Rovers. No oh, goals. He's always disappointed me and he carries on disappointing <laughs> me. Uh, Dylan Mark there. It oh, is Dylan Markande, five goals, yeah. not had an assist for Rovers under John Dow. Uh, I imagine they've all come in cup, haven't they? Oh, he scored at the start of last season. No, this season, uh, so, weren't it, West Brom? So we've only got three left, haven't we? Yeah, you've got one with five goals, no assists. And then oh, you've got God. two with one goal and four assists each. Don't forget, you've no life left, Mark. Hmm. Oh god. Um think about our loans. 
Kadra mm. went back, so he wasn't under JDT. Uh, yeah. Sober Thomas took some corners. Sober Thomas? Mm. No, he didn't get any goals. Oh, did he, did he score? No. No, no it's first goal. goal. 18 months was Huddersfield winning against us. I feel wrong yeah. that he's had five goals, this player. Surely. Tell us who it is and we'll decide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at these stats before. Let's have a look. Do you know what, actually? I'll tell you it wasn't. George Hurst. No, believe it or not, <laughs> it wasn't. So, this uh, player with oh. the five goals has scored two this season. Okay. Yeah, I think I know it is. Can and you give me what? position? All three that are left are defenders. Yeah. Oh. Higham? No. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, he's probably the only one, wasn't he? Yeah, Scott, Scott Watson, the Scott Watson oh, and the one he's got two. Scott. Yeah, Scott Watson's five goals, two this season. And then Carter. Last year. Carter, one goal, four assists. And then defenders-wise, uh, did, did somebody say Lawrence? Oh, James Hill. Yeah, one goal, four assists. Four assists? Four assists, assists according to... The trusty transfer no, to market. To be fair, Car Carter loves an assist, doesn't he? he? Does. I mean, he had a couple in the Watford game at Lawn, didn't he, Carter? Uh, when he was playing right centre half, right, right back. Do you know what's interesting? I'm looking at this list and the amount of players that have done well for JDT that he no longer wanted. Yeah. So you're looking at Travis Buckley. JRC he wasn't a fan of at the start. Gallagher with a bit of a Gallagher he's not happy with. Dylan Marcando, Scott Wharton. Britain was on Is the bench. Leonard. Leonard had stopped playing. Garrity stopped playing. There's actually quite a lot on that list. Oh, which he didn't write. Wasn't playing, was he, for a good while? So that's quite interesting. When we run about actually, looking at that. When we were talking about James Hill. You've got his assist at Millwall in the build-up to the Britain goal. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he lumps it forward. You've Obviously got Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Chef Wednesday away when he lumps it to the back post and Smodic heads it in. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Rotherham game on New Year. I don't remember. That. Or he played the ball to Smodic as he goes around the keeper. And then you've right got... Yeah, coming to the side like we have with our outbacks, playing yeah. it through. And you've also got the Cardiff game at home in the EFL Cup. When we scored five, he must have put one across boxes. Uh, but that's where we round off. Well done, Mark. I believe you came out as yeah, Victor well done, there, Mark. but a really good go. Uh, thank you to everyone for watching. You've had 75 minutes of Rovers-related discussion from the downsides in the Maguire deal, the support meeting, and John L. Thompson going to the positivity now. John Eustace is in charge. Rovers have a league win and two big games coming up on the road. We'll, of course, cover them next week and everything else. Hopefully a quieter week in terms of being more positive and we don't have to come on and discuss a lot of negative stuff, but we'll have to wait and see. Mike, thank you for joining us. Pleasure as always. Yeah, cheers, mate. It's, uh, it's nice that we can actually talk about some positive things this week. It certainly is. And Mark, thank you for joining us. No problem, Dan. I'm looking forward to hearing all about your Valentine's exploits next week. So, 
Birmingham away. Birmingham away is included in that. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, thank you to everyone for watching. Really appreciate the support we've had this week. It's been, to say how much of a frustration this week's been, thank you to everyone for all the support on the channel, etc. We'll be back regardless of what happens in this next week. Hopefully two wins we're discussing ahead of another doubleheader next week. We'll have to wait and see. It's never easy following Rovers, but hopefully John Eustace makes it a bit easier. Thank you for watching. Leave a review or whatever platform you're watching on, and we'll see you soon.